Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, the Apostle Paul declared, quote, The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The purpose of Paul's instruction to Timothy, and by extension the purpose for our lives, is to grow in selfless, Christ-centered, and other-centered love. We cannot grow in love, however, if we are not pursuing an increasingly, quote, pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Let's open our Bible now to 1 Timothy chapter 1 that we might learn what it really means to have a, quote, pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Well, good morning and uh, welcome to another teaching. It's a uh, golly, it's a beautiful January, vibrant Sunday morning here in Texas. It's around 8 a.m. The sun is shining. It's brisk. And I mean, it's just a it's just a good morning to be to be talking about Jesus, to be digging into the scriptures, to to learning, to love and please Jesus Christ our Lord more and more and more. So thank you, Lord Jesus. Good morning. Okay, so we're continuing in our book of 1 Timothy. Golly, it's been exciting just studying this book and pulling it apart and, you know, <clears throat> really breaking it down. And uh, the guys in Kingdom D are studying it. And uh, Stephen has actually done a really good job. He's studying it on his own as well. Um, <clears throat> so it's been good camaraderie around the book. And so Thank you, Lord Jesus. First uh, six chapters in the book of First Timothy, and man, they're just good. So, all right. So today we're gonna, you know, Lord willing, do verses uh, chapter one, verses four to eleven. Small review in verse three, and hopefully we'll roll to verse eleven. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, and your grace, Father. We thank you that we have these scriptures to to feed our soul to to feed our spirit, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, it was you who told us that, that, that man and woman does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. As your children, Father, we live not only on physical food, but on these scriptures. So we thank you for these scriptures, and we thank you for this book of 1 Timothy. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your mercy and provision in our lives. We thank you for becoming a human man for us. We thank you for living a perfect, righteous life on our behalf that we could never live. We thank you for dying a torturous death on our behalf that we should have died. And we thank you that you're alive and risen and we worship you, our risen Savior. Wow. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. As always, we ask earnestly for eyes that see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand that we might know Jesus better and please him more, as well as you and our Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. <clears throat> All right. First Timothy 1, and uh, I'll actually start reading in verse 3, and we'll go to 11. Paul, exhorting Timothy here, says, verse 3, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. 
Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. <laughs> wow. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Just just rolls like scripture, right? Remember, this is the Apostle Paul writing to his, his spiritual son, Timothy. You remember in verse 2, Paul says to Timothy, my true son in the faith. And, you know, um, you know, he's writing this, this, this personal letter to him, right? Um, there are four quote pastoral letters, two to Timothy, one to Titus and one to Philemon who are written to individuals. Um, and again, it's just Paul's heart for Timothy and his desire to see him effectively build up the body of Christ into being better disciples of Jesus Christ is plain in every verse. That's a picture to us, right? As men and women, we ought to be growing as disciples of Jesus Christ and earnestly helping others to do it. So I'll say again, who is the Timothy in your life? Who are the sons and, and daughters, the spiritual sons and daughters that, that you have a heart for? in a similar way that Paul has to Timothy. And you, you know, hopefully you're a Timothy where you're looking for those spiritual fathers and mothers who, who can guide you, who love you and who care for you, who have an earnest concern for you um, in your walk with Jesus. So all of us ought to be, uh, grow to be spiritual fathers and mothers like Paul <clears throat> and to be spiritual sons and daughters like Timothy. Obviously, we have to learn to be a, a son or daughter, right? Um, you know, and, you know, the better we do that, the more we'll learn to be a, a spiritual father or mother. And again, they're not independent. We, we, we should be doing both. Sometimes, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're doing well as being a good spiritual father or mother and exhorting others, and we're not doing well as, as well as a spiritual son or daughter. And sometimes it's the other way. Sometimes we're doing well as a spiritual son or daughter, and we're not doing as well as a spiritual father or mother. They should be two sides of the same coin, right? That ought to be the goal of our lives. So, all right, verse three, Paul says, I urged you as I urged you, right? So this is a, this is a serious matter. Timothy did have a choice, but basically Paul is commanding him what to do here. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer. Verse four, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. This has immense application to the church today, okay? To the, to the body of Christ in the world today, we see these instructions everywhere, and it's our job as ministers, it's our job as leaders to carry out these commands in our own churches. What am I saying? Look at this. These promote controversies rather than God's work, okay? So false doctrines, myths, 
endless genealogies, just just discussions and debates about things that 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 really do not lead to faith in Christ. Okay, we can have countless discussions about things, right? That 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 don't lead to any edification to anybody. Now, what am I saying? We should be discussing sound biblical doctrine. There is no question, okay? It's important, okay? We need to be teaching the Word of God and teaching the Scriptures effectively, okay? <clears throat> but, but, you know, what do we have? 1,100 plus denominations, and by some count it's greater, but let's just, let's just say it's 1,100, okay? That just shows how broken we are as a church, and undoubtedly, that's why we don't see the power in the current modern day church of Jesus Christ, right? The body of Christ, right? That we saw, you know, in the early church. The early church had tremendous unity, tremendous love, tremendous submission to one another, tremendous desire to walk in the word of God and to obey the word of God and to serve Christ and to love one another. And God is not mocked. Right? Galatians 6, a man reaps what he sows. When the church comes together right like that, the power of God moves in that church in a way we absolutely do not see it today. Okay? I firmly believe that's the reason why we don't see Jesus moving, our Heavenly Father moving, and the Holy Spirit moving in the manner it did in the book of Acts. All right? There's a there's a doctrine called cessationism, um, which, which uh, you know, certain groups of Christians believe that somehow God has changed. Like, you know, he used to do that and he had a purpose for that and the purpose for, for moving in such powerful miracles um, in the early church and even in Jesus himself, you know, was, you know, to, you know, ultimately, you know, give us a boost until the word of God had been finished and now that we have the 66 books of the word of God, um, those things have ceased, okay? Um, nowhere does it say that in the Bible. Nowhere does it say it, okay? It's shameful that, that, that you know, that these men are, are good, solid Bible teachers, but conveniently they'll try to find scriptures that don't, that, that have, nowhere does it say that God has changed Nowhere does it say that he's changed his mind. Nowhere does it say that, well, I used to, you know, I, I used to do these gifts, but now I'm not doing them anymore. Um, and as a matter of fact, there are several scriptures that allude to the opposite, that these things will continue. Now, again, there is no question the present day church does not have the power that the early church had, not in any way. Okay, that's plain. But that's not the fault of our Father or Jesus or the Holy Spirit. Let's not blame them. Let's blame me. It's my fault. It's our fault as a body of Christ, okay, because we're so divided. And why are we so divided? Because we have too many false doctrines, myths, and endless genealogies that we're devoted to. We have too many things that, that promote controversies, verse 4, rather than God's work, which is by faith. There are so many things that we can discuss that do not lead to edification and certainly don't lead to others coming to Christ, being born again, receiving Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And for that, I'm sorry, 
okay? Because it's a we deal, right? As any pastor, as any minister, we shouldn't be pointing to everybody else, okay? It's a cooperative deal. We're one body of Christ, and we have failed, okay? And, and never have we failed more than in these areas right here, okay? So again, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, okay? So obviously we need to be strong as ministers that we do have to come against, right, um, uh, perversions of the word of God. When people are teaching things that are not the clear and plain teaching of the scriptures, okay? And this is relating to primary doctrine now, okay? Primary doctrine are doctrines that are essential to salvation. Doctrines that are essential to us receiving eternal life. Doctrines that are essential to people moving from spiritual death to spiritual life, receiving Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of their sins, the salvation of their soul, deliverance from eternal hell and to go to heaven when we die. That's what primary doctrine is, okay? Uh, it's essential to salvation. Secondary doctrine, okay, are doctrines that are not at all essential to salvation, but they are important and really essential if we're going to grow and mature in our walk with Christ. So they do need to be discussed, okay? But they shouldn't be discussed with such hostility, okay, that there is going to have to be times where we agree to disagree on these secondary doctrines. They are important, okay? Um, again, they're doctrines that are are secondary, meaning they're not essential to someone receiving Christ as Savior, being born again spiritually, being delivered from hell and going to heaven. Um, but they are important doctrines if we're, to, if we're to grow in Christ, right? And then there's what's called tertiary doctrine, which is third in line, tertiary. And these are doctrines that, that are not essential to salvation or not essential to, uh, you know, growing in Christ, okay? Um, we do need to firmly be established in these things, okay? But to devote themselves to myths and any endless genealogies, these promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith, okay? Um, we need to be focused in the church. We have one Bible. We have 66 books in our Bible, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the, in, in the New Testament. And if we will simply just teach the Word of God, study the Word of God, verse by verse by verse by verse, we will avoid these things, okay? If we just make this scripture, okay? I've said this before. It's our job to make our beliefs and our life and our walk fit the scriptures, okay? We're to make all the adjustments in what we believe to what the Bible says. We're to make all the adjustments to live our lives based on what the Bible says, okay? It's not for us to make the Bible fit what we want to believe or make the Bible fit <clears throat> what we want to do. So it's not okay for us to twist the plain meaning of the scriptures to make them say the things we want to believe or the things we want to do. Okay. This, this is obviously essential. Okay. We take the word of God as it is. And as ministers and teachers <clears throat> and leaders, we need to do our best to diligently. Okay diligently study these scriptures and help others to do it, right? The whole job is that that we do this more and more, right? With, you know, uh, with the manner in which Paul's going to talk about here in verse five, you know, and then help others to do it, right? 
Look at verse five, okay? The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So, you know, in studying and preparing for this, some scholars believe when he says the goal of this command, that's that somehow Paul is, is speaking about the law here or the Ten Commandments. And there's a, there's a possibility of that. But, but almost certainly that, you know, uh, you know, Paul is saying that the goal of this instruction that I'm giving you, right? Um, you know, the goal of this command is love, right? The goal of, you know, this instruction that I'm giving you here, right, is love. The goal is not so we should be prideful. The goal is not so we should be arrogant. The goal is not so we should be able to say, look at how smart I am and look at how good that we are, that we or our church or our denomination, we have the right doctrine and those other Christians are fools. Again, it's, it's, it's shameful, okay? Um, the goal of this command is love. It's not pride, right? It's not superiority, Okay. Um, and again, uh, every one of us ought to be able to look in our heart and see times. I could see times when I've acted in these ways and prideful, arrogant, superior ways. It's, it's sickening. And Father, I ask you to forgive me. And all of us need to look at that and step back and repent. The goal of this command is love. Okay. So the goal of all the instruction that Paul is giving here is that there's, there, there would be a genuine love and other centered love, okay? A love that's centered on others, the first other being Jesus, a Christ-centered love and an other-centered love. Look what he says, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Wow. Okay, so again, this is this is one of the most powerful scriptures in all the Bible. Every scripture is powerful, okay? But where does love come from? You cannot have love if you don't do not have an increasingly pure heart, okay, a heart that's not entirely self-serving, a heart that's not, you know, just only focused on ourselves and our wants and our desires. If we are completely myopic, all we can see is 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 me, me, my, my, me, me, my, my, you know, you know, me, my wife, my kids, my family, my money, you know. Uh, my vacation, my car, my house, you know, uh, my ministry, my problems, my lunch, my fun, my hobbies. If that's the entire focus of our lives, we cannot have a pure heart. And without that, we cannot walk in love. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart. Okay, so a heart that's not weighed down in selfish, self-serving interests. Now, hear me. Every one of us, certainly I, can still see areas of my heart. <clears throat> but if you want to effectively walk out this instruction and, 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 and be useful in helping yourself and others grow to walk with Jesus, you know, more effectively, there needs to be a selfless, Christ-centered and other-centered love. And that will come only as we have an increasing purity of heart, okay? The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience, okay? So, 
A good conscience is a conscience, number one, that's been washed and, and cleansed and renewed in Christ. You cannot have a good conscience if you're not saved. You can't have a pure heart if you're not saved. You can't love if you're not saved. You can't have a sincere faith if you're not saved, obviously. So first of all, the beginning of all this is, are you sure you're a Christian? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you humbled yourself before Jesus, acknowledged your hopeless, helpless, desperate, sinful state, acknowledge to him that you know that without him, only an eternity in hell awaits. And from that place, have you run to him? Have you called out to him? Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not our words that save us, right? But we use our words to communicate our heart, right, to Jesus. So again, if you're not sure that you're a Christian, because without a Christian, you can't do any of this, okay? Uh, none of it, okay? Only those who have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who consequently have Jesus living inside of them by his Holy Spirit, can do any of these things. If you're not sure, you can humble yourself right now, okay? Simply go before Jesus and acknowledge that you are a sinful person. Simply say, Lord Jesus, I, I know, I'm certain that I am a sinner. And I know, Lord, that I'm, I'm hopeless and desperate. And Lord, I know that only hell awaits without you. But Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I do believe that you came into this world and lived the perfect righteous life, <clears throat> even for me. And I do believe that you died that horrible, torturous death on the cross, even for me. Lord Jesus, I believe you are alive and risen. And therefore, right now, Lord Jesus, I ask you to, to come into my heart. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I ask you to be the Lord of my life. I ask you to save me from my sin. I ask you to bring me to heaven when I die. And Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and hope and confidence and trust in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. Father, it's in Jesus' name I pray this. Amen and amen. So again, if, if you're not certain you're a Christian or if you think, you know what, I believe intellectually. I don't know if, if I've really received Jesus in my heart. You know, John 1.12 says, you know, yet to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience. Okay, so again, um, if our conscience is weighed down, okay, by, by just consistent behavior that we know is not scriptural, weighed down by, by countless sin, okay, uh, we cannot effectively walk in a pure heart. And, and to walk in, in selfless love. Now, the key to that, again, if, if, if you heard me say that and you can think of things in your life, man, don't get down. There's no shame, condemnation, guilt. The conviction of the Holy Spirit that comes over us there, we simply repent. Go to Jesus and there's a joy of repentance. You're not happy if, if something is out of place in your conscience, but repent because our conscience can grow hard. Just go before Jesus, whatever the sin is, right? For me, I, I'm, I'm still working on, on thoughts of frustration and I can be critical and judgmental. And I, man, forgive me, Lord Jesus, agitated, impatient. You know, I'm getting better at it, but you know, just whatever the issues are, okay, going on in your life, whatever sin there is, simply repent. Ask Jesus to help you. And if you fall again, repent again, right? The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, 
and a sincere faith. What is a sincere faith? It's a genuine faith that's focused on Jesus, living for Jesus, loving for Jesus, giving for Jesus, and forgiving for Jesus. A sincere faith is a faith that manifests itself in a verifiable life that wants to love Jesus and serve him. That's the goal of Paul's instruction, okay? The goal of this command, the goal of what I'm telling you to do, Timothy, is love, selfless, Christ-centered, under other-centered love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Help us, Father, to have and to walk in and to grow in having a pure heart, a good conscience and a sincere faith. Verse six, some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. This is, this is all that can happen. Hear me now. First Timothy 1, 6. If, if you're not working and growing to have an increasingly pure heart, a, a more and more good and clean conscience, and an increasingly sincere faith, all that can happen is we turn to meaningless talk. Some have wandered away from these. Okay, so where are you today? Examine yourself. Where have you wandered away from really focusing on having an increasingly pure heart, an increasingly good conscience, an increasingly sincere faith? Because wherever we've done that, all we can do is turn to meaningless talk. That's all that happens, okay? Talk that has no meaning, no purpose, no edification, no help to us growing in Christ, Really, all it does is tear down. It's of no use at all. It's a pretty heavy verse, right? Paul says, some have turned away from these. And when you turn away, you turn to something else, right? When you turn away from Jesus, you turn away to meaninglessness. Yeah, okay? Let that sink in. When you turn away from these, when you turn away from any of these focus on Jesus, having a pure heart in Jesus, a good conscience in Jesus, a sincere faith in Jesus, which leads to a, an other-centered, Christ-centered love for Jesus, you're going to turn to something else, and whatever that is, is meaningless. That's pretty weighty, okay? It's meaningless. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. Verse 7, they want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Okay, we have that in the scriptures today. Okay, specifically here, you know, there were people coming into Ephesus and they had ideas, they, they, you know, they had the Old Testament and, but they weren't sound in their doctrine. They didn't, they didn't understand what they were saying. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. And certainly this is, is, is rampant in the body of Christ today. Okay, it's good to want to be a teacher of the scriptures. It's outstanding. There's no greater goal. But but really to do that, one needs to give themselves to, to humility, right? To, 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 to reading the scriptures, to studying the scriptures, and then, then putting yourself under, you know, the great church fathers. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to do these things. All these things are fine, okay? But really studying the scriptures, and then studying what the, the, the responsible great church fathers have written, okay? Um, and then the, the, the great commentators on the scriptures. And then the great authors of Christian books, okay? What the men of God who've gone before us and studied the scriptures, right? And then again, you got men like A.W. Tozier and, and C.S. Lewis, 
Um, you got the you know the the pure preachers like 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 Charles Spurgeon. Um, and again, there are there there are men today that are teaching the word of God with clarity and power, and we ought to be aspiring to do that. The great men of God who taught the word of God in the past used to say they would have fear when they came to teach the scriptures that they would not teach it improperly. Golly, Lord, we're so far from that. Help me, Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord Jesus. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Mm. Verse 8, we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. Okay, what does it mean to use the law properly? What's the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law was never used to lead us to Jesus Christ. The purpose of the law was to show us how sinful we are and to point us to our desperate need of a savior. Okay, verse eight, we know that the law is good. The 10 commandments here perhaps, and it's probably what's in mind here in Paul. We know the law is good if one uses it properly. Now we should look to obey the law. We should look to, to, to look into the Bible and look at the 10 commandments and all the scriptures and have a desire to obey them and keep them, but never as a means of salvation. Okay, never can we be saved by anything we do. We're actually saved by abandoning any hope in ourselves to save us, humbling ourselves before Jesus, knowing we can do nothing, and simply receiving the gift of salvation that he provided for us on the cross in his life, death, and resurrection. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. Okay, again, the proper use of the law, yes, try to obey it, but the foundational use of the law is to point you to Jesus. Verse 9, we also know that law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers. Verse 10, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which he entrusted for me. This is, this is powerful here, okay? So ultimately, again, someone who has is saved and someone who has received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If you're a Christian today, then yes, you ought to have a desire to obey the word of God as a whole and to obey the Ten Commandments, absolutely, okay? Never as a means of salvation, never a means to help you get saved. But if you're not a Christian, this is what he means in verse 9 and 10. We know that the law is made not for the righteous. The primary purpose of the law is to lead you to Christ. So now again, if you've been led to Christ, if you're a Christian now, if you, if you looked inside the Ten Commandments in the Bible and you say, man, I cannot, I cannot do any of these things perfectly. The law could only save you if you obeyed every aspect of the Ten Commandments and every aspect of the scriptures as a whole perfectly in thought, word, and deed. No one can do it. Only one did it. Jesus did it. When Jesus walked the earth, he perfectly obeyed the word of God and the law of God in every thought, every word, and every deed. And, and when you receive Christ, that obedience is actually credited to you. The obedience that Jesus fully walked out is credited to you and all of your sin past present and future is credited to Jesus that exchange is the heart of the Christian gospel it's it's overwhelming right it, wow so again we also know that law is made not for the righteous but for lawbreakers and rebels the ungodly and sinful the unholy and irreligious for those who kill their fathers or mothers for murderers for adulterers and perverts for slave traders and liars and perjurers 
and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which he entrusted for me. So again, if you haven't received Jesus, then, you know, the law is to show you that you're a hopeless, de desperate sinner. Its foundational purpose is to show you that and that that only hell awaits if you don't run and humble yourself before Christ and receive him as savior. Now, once you've been saved, of course, we ought to try to obey the word of God and to obey the commandments, but never as a means of salvation. But what's interesting is law is also made, you know, for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So Paul, you know, Paul's going to stop the list here. This isn't the point, these specific things, but anything that's that's not, that's contrary the law should convict anything that's contrary to the, the plain teaching of the Bible, the plain teaching of the sound gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord, that he is our only savior that conforms, verse 11, to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. And we'll talk more about this verse next time. But being, being entrusted with the gospel is no small thing. And Paul was entrusted with the gospel. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, your grace on our lives. We thank you for, for this book of 1 Timothy, Father. We thank you, Father, for Jesus. We thank you for Jesus. Father, we ask you to forgive us as a church. Forgive me, Father, again, when we just, when we just, when we just talk about things that, that really don't lead to edification, when we disagree on things, when we bicker on things just in such foolish ways. I ask you to forgive us. Holy Spirit, we ask you to convict us, to give us eyes that see Jesus, ears to hear him, hearts to understand him. Our hearts are to live for you, Jesus. We love you and we thank you. Seal this message to our hearts, we pray, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.